Hello, welcome to episode 97 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray on deck as we sound the klaxon for the last time in 2021 and prepare to dive into some of golf's deep and uncharted waters. As the last show of the year, it's a bit of a special event, and a special event demands a special guest, and we've managed to secure exactly that today as one of our favourites returns to the studio. Golf course architect, occasional co-host and friend of the pod, Harley Cruz, along in just a moment to, dis- to discuss all sorts of big picture issues to do with the game of golf. Before that, though, let me bring in my co-host on this almost weekly adventure. I've gone a bit off the rails lately with that. We did well for a Don't couple of years. Don't draw attention to that. Yes, Adrian, it's the end of the year. All year, though, it has felt like we were never going to get here, and now suddenly we're here, and it feels like it's all come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome. Looking forward to chatting to Harley today. Thanks, Rob. Uh, and to today's guest, it's been far too long since we welcomed Harley Cruz of Cruz Design into the studio. Good to have you back today, Harley. You've been welcome. I keep seeing your name bobbing up around the place in various press reports and whatnot. You've been busy, so lots for us to talk to you about today. Welcome. Hey, Rod. Good to see you. It is good to see you. It's nice to be in the studio, although I suspect we might be back out of here in the not-too-distant future. I think more lockdowns and whatnot yeah. might be coming low. Yeah. I sent you a message earlier this week with a link to a story mm-hmm. which Harley was quoted pretty extensively. It is something that I do want to talk about. Give us some main points from that story, and then we might get Harley to talk us through some of the points that he made. Really weird CNN piece, wasn't it? It sort of had a dramatic headline suggesting golf was the worst thing in the world for the environment, and a story that suggested sort of almost the opposite, and a bit about golf's future. What did you make of all that? Mm. Well, I'm interested in your uh, input on this as a you know, part of the working media. Um, <clears throat> how, how you weaponised that is just extraordinary. <laughs> how the headline got on there for this article and and our listeners will be able to read along in the the show notes there'll be a link in the show notes of this uh but yeah the the headline for this article reads climate change crisis full colon golf courses on borrowed time as earth's weather patterns become wilder Mm. which sounds extremely grim like golf like the clock's ticking on golf and it's dramatic and yeah and this it's implied that golf is the cause of the problem there it's it's very uh doom and gloom you get into the article and there's a lot of... It's all over the place, the, the actual body of the article itself. All of itself. it's good. It's just a disorganised shambles. It's completely disorganised. And, and some of the examples that are cherry-picked from various courses and locations all around the world are presented as being dramatic examples when often they're pretty typical examples. Um, so, well, there's an example. They give Woburn as... Uh, a shining vanguard of environmental change. An innovator. <laughs> An innovator. Because? Because it has a dam and Ooh. they've well, tapped into a bore. <laughs> yeah. So they've, they've got their own water supply, which is not uncommon at all. A no. lot of golf courses in Sydney have their own water supply. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the sort of uneven reporting that's in the piece. But that said, there's a lot of very good points in there as well, which aren't properly emphasised. It's all... It's a very uneven piece with the emphasis on the wrong points and, and everything. So but ju- it's worth reading and a very big audience would have seen this. So which just is- to the headline. Oh, is that microphone of mine working? I don't know. Maybe it's working then. Anyway, we'll continue on. Um, just to the headline. It's effective, isn't it? It, it is. So it does the job, so, which is to get you to read it. So for that, I applaud it. For the misleading nature of it, that's a bit dangerous. Yeah. Although I would have got a lot of golfers reading it, and there's some good information there for golfers. Harley, leaving aside the questionable media tactics there, though you were quoted in this story, uh, where did this emanate from? From the States? And how did they come to be in touch with you? No, it didn't. It actually came out of uh, a freelance journalist in the UK who, who's written the piece um, for CNN at, and uh, he he's he's put this together, and um, he, he was actually a little disappointed when it came out because it was uh, had edited uh, quite extensively since he actually wrote the wrote the piece. So he was uh, actually quite a bit disappointed by the piece as, um, was presented finally. But uh, uh, at the same time, uh, there's been some quite good positive responses, as you say. If you wade through the in the initial negativity of, of doom and gloom around golf um, you know there's some positive pieces in there that uh, get referred to but um, so Tom uh, British British golf writer freelance golf writer and, and journalist uh, was a little disappointed but his his background to the whole piece was about writing uh, the impact of climate change on golf was basically the, the the underlying theme of the piece which is no small issue Correct, and 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 he's trying to look at you know constructive ways of how golf needs to deal with with climate change, um, 
um, in the future, now, now and in the future with various different events that are happening. One of the opening paragraphs of the piece says, in other words, golf is a dirty sport that's wrecking the planet, but it doesn't have to be. And that, that's kind of the, the premise of the whole piece is that it goes to explain (laughs) that golf is wrecking the planet. I I disagree with the wrecking the planet bit. The only real evidence that it presents for that is that some golf courses overuse water. Some golf courses. Harley, what percentage of golf should not? I watch the desert swing in America every year and I'm horrified. And I can imagine being a non-golfer. And that's a point it doesn't make is that there's golf courses where there shouldn't be golf courses. But golf needs to accept that, doesn't it? So how many golf courses and what can we realistically say about golf and its impact on the environment? Yeah, you're right. Golf, uh, golf doesn't accept accept, accept it um, in in certain places, but it's it's amazing. I mean, if you, you know Palm Springs in um, in California, and you, you go there, and it's you know you're out in the middle of the desert, and yet there's these golf courses wall to wall, just about in certain parts. Bright um, green golf courses. Bright green, too. and and you sort of look at it and you're sort striped. Of, yeah, striped. On the surface, the whole place is a desert. Underneath is this huge water table, and they've been able to tap into this water table that's sitting there and uh, bring up um, a massive water table underneath Palm Springs. I mean, that's how Palm Springs you know, Exists, took off it as a, as, a, as a place. The titular springs. That titular is a word meaning that's the title. That's oh, where the title. Oh, right. I see what you mean. Sorry. So, uh, correct. Correct. It's really so, taken uh, the heat out of that. But even I've, I've been there once, and I was a little horrified as a golf course architect to see cool season grasses out in the middle of the desert um, and and damp, wet fairways. And it was probably a case of golf being a little overwatered, a little over lush, a little over green, <clears throat> you know, turf going way beyond the playing surfaces and areas. And when I said cool season fairways, we were out on a sort of 36-degree uh, day. Um, because they've got copious amounts of water, they can just get keep these cool season grasses alive. But so I that, guess you know, that's yeah. interesting. Is how just because you've got the water, does that mean the responsible thing to do is to pour it on a golf course? Well, ob- yeah, obviously not. <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? And so there's no. It's kind of like I'd hate to say the word regulation, but there's no sort of regulation on this, is there? So if you've got a water license and you can use your license and you've got an annual amount of water to use, well, you tend to go and use it, right? So I, look, I don't know the the uh, regulations around it, but um, obviously if you get given it, you take as much cake as you can take, you know, and, and perhaps there needs to be some sort of uh, control on it or, or, you know, restriction. And I guess as that area of, of Palm Springs develops and there's more population living there, there will be greater pressure on that water table. So it comes back to good management at a sort of a broader level, I think. This is the argument we had with Pat Jones, wasn't it, mm-hmm. Adrian, that the optics of golf are almost as important as it, it may be the case that there is enough water to mm-hmm. have as much verdant golf as you like in the middle of the desert in, in America. But that doesn't mean it's a good look for the game or necessarily a sensible thing to do. So there's there's a lot of stuff at play, isn't there? Which I think is partly what the it, it's an easy sell to non golfers that golf is bad for the environment and golf doesn't help itself by having things like golf in the desert, does it? Mm. But, I think what you get too, when you've got a lot of water to use, you get, uh, I'm sure this is the right term, you get lazy golf design or lazy irrigation design or lazy management because you've just got this resource you can just keep tapping into um, day in, day out. Uh, you know, compare that with, say, parts of Australia where we just simply don't have the water. Necessity. Superintendents have to just strictly really be really careful with that resource and just water what they, you know, it might only be at certain times of in a drought period. It's just teas and greens and that's it. Everything's just left to Mother Nature. So, so uh, yeah, you sort of, you get a bit, I guess, a bit of complacency or a bit of lazy management or lazy, you know, even back to the design of the, of the golf courses in the first place that we've got plenty of water, we can irrigate wall to wall, so let's do it. Let's do it. You know, like all things, constraints introduce innovation. innovation don't they? Yep. Yep. Yeah. What what role do we as golfers play in all of this? Like, we demand this wall to wall green, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's marketable. We've said before that you know I'm I'm not a monster. I, I like green fairways. It's nice having a nice lie. And I'm sure, if that's the looking- only definition of being a monster, <laughs> but you're right in that sense. You you haven't ticked that. Long. Um, but I equal. I prefer drier fairways but with healthy with a healthy grass you know uh, and green is an indicator that the grass is healthy and you know that that green comes from water in the in the actual plant um and uh you know i i, I from a golf point of view i do prefer to play hard and fast uh fairways um 
but you know I, I like it to be alive as well. So it, there's a balance to to strike there. Um, and uh, but I, overall, you know, we are far too fussy. The, there's I, I gave the example the other week of Royal Adelaide, which I think by any measure is a superbly presented golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has. Uh, it was interesting to hear the superintendent talk, and we can link again to this podcast of the. the I don't think I linked to it. The Golfing Greenkeepers podcast. I gave you the link. Did so, I put it in? Yes, I don't know. Um, but the Golfing Greenkeepers podcast had uh, the superintendent on there, and he explained that the grassing of the fairways there is just what was there, mm. and they just kept mowing that, and it's a mix of all different cooches, and so you get a bit of a blotchy effect at certain times of year when it when different varieties become dormant and go in and out of dormancy. And uh, but you know it's all uh, just become a pristine sort of. Uh, th- there's an advantage to having that little bit of mix of cooches in there or different types of grasses uh, because they come in and out. So- something's always alive. Something's always <laughs> alive. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you know the in terms of how your ball sits on the fairway, it's beautifully presented on every single lie that you'll get at Royal Adelaide. You won't get a bad lie if you've hit it on the fairway. Uh, but then just off the fairway, they don't water the rough and they don't even mow the rough. Um, and uh, you just get wispy things. It gets a bit thicker and when it starts growing a bit more and it gets wispy in winter and you know, it, gets, it can be wet and difficult at certain times of year and other times of year it's dry and, and easy to play out of. But um, it's, it's a true hazard and it's done without blowers <laughs> in the rough, as Harley's quoted in this article here describing his disgust at seeing American golf courses are being prepared for major championships with Fluff with the rough. blowers in the rough blowers. and raking the rough and yeah, that's it's just absurd, isn't it? <laughs> it's absolutely, absolutely absurd. absurd. And and you know, uh, lines of uh, 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 irrigation from boundary fence to boundary fence. Um, blowers in the rough might be the name of our spin-off podcast. <laughs> <laughs> blowers in the rough. Blowers in the, in the rough. Harley, we were speaking to Bill Jennings last week from Northcote, the Northcote Hub, and they've got this fantastic idea to make golf. All of the things we've talked about, we've talked about with you, we've talked about amongst ourselves, we've talked about what public golf could and should be, and it feels like we're moving in that direction, a much more communal facility where it's not just about golf, but golf doesn't get left out. Yep. It's not this binary sort of proposition. All of what we were just talking about now, Bill sort of told us as a, as a sort of a, an average kind of guy, he's not interested in any of that. This is all the golf nerdy stuff, but it has a role to play, doesn't it? What's the responsibility of those of us within the game, and particularly architects and superintendents, in educating golfers and showing golfers that golf doesn't need to be green? We're habitually now tuned to this notion, and the Masters is always held up as the poster child that this perfectly presented golf course is what equals good golf. How do we start to break that? Because you can't have that at Northcote responsibly and every no. golf course responsibly. Yeah. And it, look, you can't. No, it's a good question. It, it, it obviously comes back to, um, you know, resources. Technology allows us to deliver whatever golf. We, if we want something bright green, lush green out there, we can we can deliver it if you've got the resources. And I guess when it comes back to, you know, managing a space such as a public golf course where, you know, resources are limited. You know, fortunately, there's people paying green fees that are providing an, an economic model to manage that piece of land. Um, but the reality is then uh, um, you're not going to get, you know, triple row sprinklers throughout a, a public golf course, and nor should you. And I guess um, the, I guess there's enough examples of, of, of public golf that's good and, and even private golf that's good in Australia, I'm talking. And, and I guess we look to Britain and you look at the British Open and you see, you know, the British Open played where it's been a hot, dry summer in, in the UK and we've got a, a blotchy, yellowy, browny, shades of green uh, golf courses on the TV. Um, Canoosty a couple of years ago. Which looks virtually great. concrete. Yeah. So, and I, so <laughs> it comes back to... Yeah, does that make for good TV? I don't look. We, I guess the purists, of course, it's the open. And yes, it does. Is is it great TV for the sort of novice or relatively new golfer where they look at Augusta on the TV? You know, a few months apart from what they see on Carnoustie, and it's sort of like, well, what's golf? You I think know, they find it, it puzzling. Yeah, is yeah. is Augusta what it's meant to be, or is Carnoustie? And sort of, I guess people tend to relate more to the Augusta look than perhaps the the, the dried out um, British links look. Funnily enough, Harley. Part of the issue at Northcote is exactly what you're talking about. During the pandemic, golf was off. The public wanted to be let into the golf course to use the space. They were staggered 
by the quality of the surfaces they encountered compared to the local park, and now they want it back as a park. So perhaps it's not just golfers, it's a human response. I imagine most people, if they took their shoes off, would rather walk around Augusta National in bare feet than Canoosty feeling yeah, yeah. like concrete. So yeah, 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 yeah. We're kind yeah. of up against it, aren't we, in a lot of ways? Yeah, look, we are. So I guess it comes back to this perception. I think I think it's uh, – um, yeah, I think, look – I. I think public golf and I think parts of – if you go to regional golf in Australia, again, where resources are relatively low, there's some fantastic places to go and play golf where there's not a huge budget to maintain these places. Uh, and yet it's, you know, it's, it's golf in, in probably – I guess when, when it is summer, things are dry and bone dry, there's a sort of a harmony. If, if things are dry, the golf course should also be dry as well. So um, as opposed to sort of turning up and things being lush green. Um, so I think, uh, and if, if, if it's, you know, tees and greens that have you know, obviously got to be maintained at a higher standard than the rest of the golf course, the golf rest of the golf course is allowed to brown off. Um, and, and yet they're providing a surface for people to play, uh, and it's not down to bare dirt. Well, why not? Let's, let's have a good, good firm surface. How do you get that perception across? I guess golf's been talking that for decades, how we, how we, how we try and, promote that image but Northcote is an instrument obviously there's a there's there's a fair amount of competition now for that space I guess we call it from with golf and public and that that brings a whole other discussion about public golf courses and public ground and public spaces and you know is it exclusively for golfers or is it a a share model or you turn it off and it becomes a public park and golf disappears so but I think we've it's a sort of a whole other podcast session in a way but it's but it is but it is something that um that is an interesting debate right now, and I think Golf Australia are weighing into that um, Northcote debate as well at the moment, from what I'm understanding. They are. They are indeed. Big golf, as, uh, <laughs> as it's now <laughs> sort of seen. Uh, for those of us on the side of the debate that says you like brown and firm and fast and that that's, more, and that's preferable, are we ignorant in our own way? Is that possible everywhere, Harley? Uh, look, no, it's not. Uh, again, it's, it's something that Again, I think it's as I sort of talked mentioned in a moment. Harmony, the golf course in Harmony, with its with its landform, its landscape, and its climate. You know, you go to tropical Asia, you don't expect hard, firm, and fast in a rain in a in a, in a rain high rainfall area that gets five meters of rain a year. Things are going to be lush and thick and green, and you're not going to get you're not going to get brown. You know, um, you go to the golf course out, of course. You know, and we talk about uh, Royal Adelaide, classic situation, and one of my favourite golf courses in Australia, Royal Adelaide. It is because it is in Harmony with its surrounds in its landscape it does dry out the the roughs go sandy um, and and sparse and uh, that's the climate that is Adelaide and and let it be that way so I think it's wherever you are in the world and where that climate fits the golf course has just got to be in harmony with that environment fantastically Royal Adelaide you could actually catch the train there to the 1998 Australian so Open the, the railway line yeah. runs through the course they so set up a, a station there you oh, catch, the tra- catch the train yeah. right to the putting green there used to be yeah. a station just near the putting green I think that yeah. used to actually be yeah. a stop fabulous stop yeah, was good. I was good, there actually well yeah, yeah, yeah I was there I didn't do it I went to a women's I was staggered by Royal Adelaide I'd never been there until about three or four years ago I went for the women's open I remember just, from the minute you drive in the gate it's like okay can I live here mm. this is just golf paradise so the, mm. their practice Pitching green could have been a par three on any golf course in the world and held its head up happily, and it was one of four. And that's before you get to the clubhouse. If you remember, you just pull in the front gate and leave your car there. You don't need to go any further. That's right. Fantastic place. Sorry. Yeah. I interrupted you. Well, look, I think it's interesting in talking about these things of, like, dialing it out to an extreme and looking at a at a place where there's very, very limited resources, and we've got hundreds of examples of that in Australia. There was a tweet from Mike Clayton uh, yeah. Yesterday, which was brilliant, the Great Invasion. Talking about yeah, driving with uh, Devries, Mike Devries from Port Ferry to Horsham, came across a course I'd never heard of. Well, now that's the most staggering thing in that whole tweet that he hasn't. Now, there's heard a of golf it. course in Australia yeah, yeah. that Clayton hasn't heard, heard of. Yeah, I've I've mentioned some pretty obscure courses to him, which he's gone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah fourth hole there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, the Morala Golf Club, nine holes, sand greens, beautiful roughs and trees, only open in winter, but look like fun golf. Once we jumped the fence by the first green, the thought of uh, Mike Clayton and Mike DeVries jumping the fence at this uh, delicious, sand green nine-hole course. It's a delicious idea, course. isn't it? It's uh, pretty- Two of the world's yeah. premier golf course architects. <laughs> Fantastic. Jumping the fence into a sand green golf course to have a look. But he's shown some photos and it is just quite beautiful. Like there are beautiful roughs. It's just all the natural grasses there and they're sort of browned off and uh, they've gone to seed in the rough and on the fairways they just mow the fairways by the look of it, that's it. They just mow what's there. It's a lot of common cooch, I guess, down in that area. And gum trees. 
Like, and it's spectacular. And, it. and, and it's only open in winter. Only it's open. only open so, in winter because, you know, it's a little, little bit, uh, you're able to look after the grass a little bit better. It doesn't, it's not concrete. Yeah, it's too dry in summer yeah. and, 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 you know, obviously just the thing would wear out and yeah. it's a winter type, winter pastime. Yeah. It taps into something you mentioned before, the golf fitting into its place. Yeah. Geography is destiny. Geography is destiny. So I guess the point being, Harley, in some ways what you said earlier, and it's a saying that I've heard Logue bring before you, didn't have enough money to bugger it up. Yep. Had somebody gone to that site where Clayton and DeVries broke the law clearly and yeah, jumped the fence, jumped the fence and trespassed, like, on pro- trespassed on private property. Like a badass. If somebody had gone in there and designed a golf course, it probably wouldn't have been as interesting and good as what is there naturally. Correct. Uh, look, correct. Because I think the preconceptions when you go into a piece of ground is you're going to have a irrigation system behind you supporting it all and, and various different um, things to make golf what – the expectation of golf is, but the, the very notion, and it's the first time I've heard of a golf course that's actually only open in winter. Only open in winter. Have you heard of another golf course in Australia that's only open in winter? Um, well, it's probably pretty common for these. Correct, uh, for, this, for this area. Yeah, uh, Things are busy, I guess, in the farming community in, in spring, summer and, and autumn when things are growing and, and crops are to be harvested and, and stock and, and thing, things are busy for the farming. So it's really a, a cooler time of the year when things are backed off production-wise in farming, that they've got some bit of free, bit more free time to go and play golf, and the golf course in its, is in its own natural best condition, isn't it, at that golf time of the year? Golf itself fits in with that community. Community. Not just geography, but it's yeah. fitting in with the sort of yeah. the whole social context of what yeah. the farming community is, is doing. So, And part of that is why they've got sand greens, because, you know, you need somebody to maintain grass greens, Correct. and you need water available all the time to keep yeah. them alive and... And, and man hours to, to maintain it. So I think that's I – mean, Australia's full of um, sand-based green golf courses where simply that is golf, um, you know, to, to put an irrigation system in. And there are a few country golf courses where, the, you know, the, the local communities hit, a better, hit better days financially and all of a sudden there's – and the golf club's in a better state. Well, let's, put, let's put irrigation in and, and make our greens turf greens. That's the, the dream because with that comes not just the ability to – produce grass but you've actually got to get in there and maintain it grass and, and you ramp up the whole levels of so it's a pretty big call and a big decision to go from that spot to turf greens then you go with members complaining about the speed <laughs> that's of the right. greens now that we've got and, these grass greens they're yeah. not good enough yeah that's right <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bunkers aren't right yeah that's exactly right the sand greens were better to put on harley yeah. as an architect i imagine that the temptation is always to do something with the land, and that the most difficult thing sometimes might be to resist doing something to the land or the space. Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, it's it's bandied around a lot, but you you, you know, people say the you know the least disturbance, etc. And it, it, unfortunately, it is bandied around a bit. But really, if again, uh, routing nine holes, eighteen holes on a piece of land is is trying to find something that makes golf fit and the holes f- fit well, and then string them together. Obviously, is eighteen holes, and so you, you've You've got to be really sensitive to um, the vegetation's there, the landform that's there, the drainage patterns, um, the the site, you know, the site dictating what golf should be on that site, rather than just imposing a model of eighteen holes. So it really is, it is responding to that to that ground, and it is trying to, you know, fit holes, um, you know. Um, naturally, it's you know there's a. I've had over years gone you know pressure in Asia. You've got to have seven thousand two hundred yards. It's got to be past seventy two. And and reality is on those particular sites, you've got to sort of try and steer the client around to saying, well, this hole here, this land, this space really you know suited to a par four of this length. Oh, but can we make it longer? Well, no, because we're in, into it. You know the green sits naturally there. It's a green, a natural green site or a natural tea site. Let let the land dictate how the golf is going to fit. So, um, you know, the bulldozer and, and technology allows us to do a whole lot of things and put golf all over the planet in different sites. Um, but obviously good design and, and good response from golf is to look at those sites naturally and work, work with that ground that in, and the dimensions that are given to you. Um, so that, I guess that's, that's a skill. The owner that's given to you, Harley. Pardon? The owner that's given to you. Because an architect's only got so much influence, don't you? Correct. And if the owner yeah. wants a 7,200-yard golf course, then that's what you've kind of got to build, whether it's the right thing to do or not. Or, or worse than the owner, the committee. Oh, well, good lord. Well, typically it is, on those, it is an owner or, an, or, or a development company, or at, at times it is a committee, but it, it is uh, – look, part of that process is, is bringing the – 
you know, bringing the the development group or the client team along for the for the for the journey, and, and I guess educating and and bringing up examples of where you know par sixty nine or par seventy actually works. You know, it's it's something that and and existing golf courses, existing clubs. Um, and look, Royal Perth's a classic example where we're going to be involved you know, coming up soon, and that's that's par seventy two on on a very tight site, probably. It'll end up in something around seventy is is where it should be. You can already hear the keyboards oh. tapping with the emails being yeah, yeah, fired yeah. off to the committees. And look, I, I, the, the the club knows that it, it's 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 tight. The dimensions are tight, and it's probably going to be better golf and safer golf on their tight site at par seventy. So it's there's an example, and there are plenty of examples that you know the classic. You know, I, I've used it before. You look at the world's top fifty golf courses, and you look at how many of them are not par seventy two, and there you've got par sixty nines and seventies and seventy ones in there. So, so so there's a bit of a education process, and we may or may not be successful as architects with certain clients that say, well, you know, golf must be this. In South Korea, for example, you must use the driver off the first tee. Um, really? Why? Or oh, because in South Korea we use driver on first tee, and really? so it was was the comment back to me on a on a short par four opening hole that I was involved with in Korea, and I said, "Look, you're welcome to use your driver, but the safe play here would be to use a three wood." Um, uh, but you know the mentality is yes, first hole we must use driver. So reverse the nines, Harley, make it the tenth. <laughs> Problem right. solved. So it's just that sort of innovative thinking that you lack. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, there's a much bigger issue at play there that you're talking about. It's something that we constantly touch on or bump up against here. Is it's a, it's about that expectations and what's seen as acceptable and these notions of what golf should and has to be. And that's true of both non-golfers and golfers, isn't it? It's non-golfers think of golf as an exclusive, wealthy person's pursuit, and golfers think it has to be for four par fives, four par threes, par 72, 18 holes, otherwise it's not proper golf. All those things are really interesting and go against exactly. I can't help, can't stop thinking about that course that you mentioned there that Clates went on where it's only open in winter and that suits the local farming. People using golf the way it suits them mm-hmm. as opposed to us golf nerds who live in the city and like everything else in the city, it's dished up to us. I can buy an avocado any time of year in the city. I was about to use the fruit example. There you yeah. go. Yeah. I, can, I can buy strawberries any time of yeah. year. I can, I, can, I can play my golf every Saturday and it's going to look the same in yeah. winter, summer, almost. It's, uh, it's a bit out of whack, isn't it? I, I wonder whether we're doing it right. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, like it's it's come comes back to that geography is destiny concept mm. as well, doesn't it? Um, and you know, back to this article, uh, they talk about golf courses in Florida flooding uh, because the surrounding suburb is raising the. I, they, they use some expression I didn't understand, but raising the the water runoff or the gutters or something like that, yeah, yeah. and and therefore the golf course becomes a big bowl which all the water goes into for these suburban areas. And uh, they're just going to be swamps in the future. Even like the sunny day swamps, they say. We're just uh, even without rain, these golf courses are going to be flooded. So I guess the question is: Should there be a golf course in those places in the first in the first case? Um, but uh, yeah, and is it ever going to be good golf in in areas like that? Um, I don't know. Well, yeah, well, actually, yes. The answer is yes, it should be. Golf golf courses are perfect places. Stay on that mic, Harley. I don't golf courses are actually perfect places to um, detain stormwater. Yep. And, and if, you th- if we think in, in a, a you know, suburban community where you have got runoff from roofs and streets and all these sort of places, where's the best place? What's the large-scale space that can actually take this stormwater, um, filter it through wetlands and plant material, and actually, in a storm event, detain... Uh, large volumes of water and then slowly release it out into the system. Golf courses are perfect for this. So, so the the notion of in a sort of broad context of you were sort of planning a, a town from scratch and you had these detention bases, the basins, then then golf could be should fit and can fit within 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 that sort of sort of stormwater management of a of a of a town. And there are plenty of other examples where golf does this. Royal, Royal Adelaide. I hate, I- Keep going back to Royal Adelaide. But Are you angling for a membership it, at Royal Adelaide since you're not allowed to quail hollow? I just can't recommend this podcast enough. But again, whenever it rains in the city there, yeah. it, it all comes down. It's all actually funneled towards uh, uh, the coast, Seton there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, they they can they filter all the, deca- um, like the contaminants and everything out of the water that comes from the city by uh, sending it through the wetlands. And by the time it's it's in that 
ecosystem, it's all it's clean again. Yeah. And the course has an unlimited supply of water. Yeah. Um, without without Which they doing. don't use to create no. wall to wall non native grasses that don't belong in the area, which That's is right. interesting as well, isn't so it? So in nineteen ninety I was involved when I was at uh, Thompson Woolery Parrot, we were involved with Hope Island Golf Course there up in a, in a floodplain in Queensland, Gold Coast. And the golf course was designed so that as the Cooma River flooded, the fairways did go under at certain levels of of, of flood events. Um, the, the glades that uh, Bob Harrison designed when, with Norman Design was this, exactly the same. When that river flooded, yeah. the golf course was designed as a flowway Sacrificial. and a tension way for... Yeah. So there's not many other... Um, you know, land uses that can actually design to actually do this, and and golf's a perfect example of that. And then the, you know, at Hope Island, we was the first golf course that I know of. We put in um, filtration ponds within the golf course to to intercept uh, drainage and runoff from both golf and externally to to filter water. So again, it just comes down to good good design, uh, not necessarily good extra cost. It just comes down to sort of good design and how golf courses can play a role in the broader community of of, of water management. And for some little towns, like we talked about last time you were on, I think we talked about Dunny Doo and uh, the fact that it, it's better that that golf course floods than that town floods. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. that's where the water goes there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're quoted in the article as uh, talking about uh, the flooding at Linwood. Uh, and, but that's northwestern Sydney. In northwestern Sydney, yeah. And it, does, it, it floods pretty dramatically there. It's under. It's on the Hawkesbury River, so it's flooded twice in the last two years, I think, or last mm-hmm. eighteen months even. Mm. And uh, on the last occasion, it was under twenty-six feet of water in some spots. Um, but it, you know, drained away, and it's actually playable pretty quickly after the flood waters recede, which is remarkable mm. as well. Mm. But it's on the site of a former turf farm, I think. And right. I, you know, it, it looks bad that there's a golf course built in this place where. Uh, it, it's going to flood continuously and there must be an enormous expense with that. But it was just a former turf farm. They didn't clear trees to create that golf course. No, no. What, it's in a flood not, plain. not that many other... It's in a floodplain. You know, I'm not going to build houses there. there. You can't build houses not going to be many no. other uses for that Correct. for that piece of land. Um, so you might as well make... You know, which is a pretty good golf course. And, yep. uh, uh, you know, that's not a bad... It's presented as a horrible example in this article, which yeah, is some of the unevenness of the reporting in yeah. here. But you, you simply couldn't build houses in that area. It, it is a floodplain. It is part of the t- detention area of that of that river when it when it does break its banks. Um, so if golf is occupying that ground and doing that thing, and yes, there are, you know, there's horse paddocks in those areas and there's, there's turf farms and other bits of, uh, I guess, horticulture about, but, you know... Um, why not? Why not golf sit there and it? You know, it's right there on this uh, on the river. So it's it's been it is a good example, good example of land use. I mean, there are you know houses getting built um, in nearby those areas, which um, are very questionable, and houses that have been built in, in years gone by. I think the threats of climate change are probably more onto where we're putting houses in some of these um, land areas of our of our towns, where where flooding events are going to be increasing in the future the frequency uh, and maybe the scale and there's there's arguably and questionably some some suburban developments that shouldn't be where they are mm-hmm. uh, but golf golf can handle it uh, look I, I guess Linwood I guess there was issues there some of the, some parts of the golf and another golf course nearby where almost the entire golf course went under from a golf point of view you really don't want your greens going under no. and so I think Linwood had nearly every green except for two that went under so there's a bit of work they've had to do to to uh, clean clean these greens post flooding, but um, as you uh, say, better than the houses getting flooded and people being left with nowhere to live for yeah. six yeah, yeah. months while those things get correct get sorted. We, of course, we do know what's going to happen, Harley, because we can only look at Sydney as the example. Once the council's allowed far too many houses to be built in that place where they shouldn't be with no green space, they'll turn to the golf course and say, "Well, why is that golf? That should be green space. That's how we do it in Australia. That's how Clover Moore's done it in Sydney. Let's yeah. overdevelop the place and yeah. then." Say that we need to take take, take the rates and then then work it out right. later. Clearly, we this this is much more complex than you know golf is good or bad for the environment. We in golf don't really understand that very well. You deal with people from all sides, from golfers and our ignorance to local councils and government and their ignorance. What don't non golfers understand, and what of these issues? What interesting discussions have you had with bureaucrats about the role of golf? Not as a golf course and whether this par four is interesting and a good challenge and one of the best holes in it, but for some of the issues we're talking about here, where a golf course serves a purpose beyond just a place to walk and hit a ball. 
Yeah, to be honest, I haven't had um, too many discussions I can think of recently with with um, that's telling in itself. Isn't bureaucrats, it? bureaucrats about um, about golf. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to think of examples. But I, I am I am involved with one process at the moment that that, that involves local government um, assessing and decision making, and and I guess it's. Um, yeah, look, uh, the issue with this particular golf club is is people's memories are pretty short and, and they're looking at this particular golf course because it has trees on it that were planted um, um, and, and non, non, non-local trees. Trees that don't trees, belong. Trees that don't belong, non-local trees. They've been planted on this space. It is a private golf club, but been planted there. And it's almost got to the situation where it's ridiculous that a tree is a tree is a tree and we must protect a tree at all costs. And yet... Um, if 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 councils and local um, authorities were to look back onto what that land was prior to settlement, prior to it being a golf course, prior to being a farm, before it became a golf course, then then we need to sort of dial into to these places and getting back to that sort of natural geographical and environmental setting, and then like looking at the context of how these golf courses fit. So. That would probably, in this particular case, allude to the fact that there weren't that many trees on this particular ground and there was a heap of beautiful, incredible, actually amazing flora, which is under threat uh, and, and is declining in, 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 in this particular urban environment where golf has the opportunity to actually restore the, um, that landscape back to this site and, and actually bring in rare and endangered plants and actually protect them. Um, and improve the golf. And improve <laughs> the golf. And, 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 the, and, and public golf courses can do this too. If, if, if councils as the landlords of these public golf courses can actually um, talk to biodiversity and actually have examples where biodiversity, and when I'm talking fauna and you know, fauna and flora type examples, then shoring up the assets of golf, shall we call it, um, and, and diversifying um, these, these golfing assets with flora, then again, it comes back to a, a, a landscape model where this, um, again, under pressure of, these, of our communities and housing, that all of a sudden these golf courses can become these diverse places for, for lost or lose plant material that's getting lost, uh, species that are disappearing in our environments, Small things that don't tem- tend to matter, and if it's a few non-indigenous trees, they've got to come out, be plucked out, to allow for this other amazing flora to be um, used and protected, and provide habitat to some of the fauna that we cherish. Then, then let golf do that. Um, so, is there I, an understanding, Harley? You're no, clearly the, explaining this stuff to people who are making decisions. Is there an understanding, or does it become a political issue where? People want to see something, so politicians want to give it to them, and what's right and wrong doesn't really come into the thinking. Yeah, look, I don't think there is an understanding yet, and I think this is golf's potential to really highlight that the what these spaces can do uh, and be. So I think you know the average public park typically it's you know it it's the maintenance budgets for a public park sees a tractor with a slasher on the back and mm-hmm. whiz around and everything's just you know it's either trees or or just mown grass. Um, whereas naturally these environments may not have been that. So um, you don't see a lot of uh, rewild and, and sort of wild meadow areas on, on public parks. Mm-hmm. It's all just mown down, right, slashed down. So so golf has that, that opportunity and, and I think that just, again, we need to show by example. And I think too, if, if from a golf point of view, just selfishly from the, um, the delivery of golf in these golf places, um, and I've said this to a few people who are managing these sort of public facilities or, or golf clubs working and, and operating out of these public lands is that, you know, do do shore up your your vegetation areas with some of these rare and endangered plants, um, and proliferate these these places and, and attract the fauna and flora to to your to your golf course, and then you'll you'll have a situation where perhaps there's a less of an opportunity for a council to say right we want that land and turn it into soccer fields for fifteen year old kids, you know. Um, which has been some of the discussions around golf being, you know, wanting to be perhaps re, re or golf places re uh, reset for some other use. So I think 
um, yeah, shoring up the assets with and and doing this environmentally and making it a better place to play golf, uh, and then maybe ha- opening up these things for people to walk their dogs through and 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 do other recreation at certain times of the day or week is is a good thing. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff sort of needs yeah. to happen, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big topic. It's a big topic, but it's a, it's a and, really but I think there's a, there's thing. There's, it seems to me there's a growing awareness and a growing knowledge, and these CNN articles, you know, they sort of. Talk golf as a dirty thing, but then come through with discussion of what you know. What are the good things? And I think if it pricks the conscience of the golf industry and what we're doing, it allows us to say, well, actually, you know what? We're actually doing some good things. So it's really important that golfers be on board with this stuff and start to understand this stuff. And I do think that there's a there's a lack of that in a large segment of the golf golf population at the moment. Most of us who play golf most of our lives have a certain expectation about way golf looks and. And has always been, there's a lot of people who aren't going to come across to the notion that it could be different and that different could be better. But yep. that's generational in some ways. We talked about this last yeah, it week. Is. I think, like, that's generational. You? Younger golfers certainly bring a different perspective, I think, to the game. Mm, perhaps, yeah. I, look, I, I think we come from a generation where uh, you blast the ball. It's interesting. Harley and I went for a walk around Kalara the other day and- uh, most of, we were looking in some of the roughs and at, at these plantings that have, of native species that have been put in there. And uh, so there's this uh, native um, bluebell Wallenbergia, mm-hmm. oh, which is really pretty. Yeah, put on Twitter, yeah. yeah, it's really pretty little uh, like ground cover. Um, doesn't grow too big, and it flowers nicely. It's very pretty. Um, What's the lilac in there? Well, that's that's the point I was coming around to. I would have, in the past, like my ball would have just come to rest in a, a spot like that and I'd just blast through whatever's there. <laughs> now I'm thinking about the people who are out there hand planting these things <laughs> and trying to restore that little ecosystem there. And for the first few years, until it's all established, it's very delicate <laughs> and requires constant attention. And if my ball comes to rest now next to a little... A thing of I'm I'm scarred. Like if it comes rest rest next to a nice native feel awful native species, I'm like out of there. I'm going to hit it. Yeah. <laughs> it's that or a penalty shot. Exactly. Well, we all know which way you're going, don't <laughs> so, we? But I, it starts with I think um, just being able to identify the odd thing. Uh, I, I think that's <laughs> yeah. I, just down. I think that's a great thing that any golfer can do is just just learn at least you know what one species is that you're looking at. You could start with just the grassing of the course, like, you know, understand what, what type of grasses your course has. Um, but then, you know, move off into the into the roughs and, and have a look at what you've got on your course. And a lot, sadly, a lot of courses in Sydney would find they've just got more of the same grass that they've got on the fairways. It's just longer. Um, but uh, places like Kalara are looking to change that and, and uncover um, some native species that will look much more attractive. And Very encouraging. For, for yeah. a golf club like Kalara, which is a fairly exclusive club here in Sydney, to be proactively pursuing a policy of doing that is very encouraging because apart from anything else, they're seen as leaders in the field as well. Other clubs look at that and say, well, they're doing it. We should be doing it too. Or members at other clubs can agitate and say, well, look, they're doing it at Kalara, so there's no reason for us not to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Kalara's doing um, 50,000 square metres of it over the next you know, five to six years. It's a significant um, commitment. Um, on, a, on a site that's not exactly a huge site, so but it is um, bringing that diversity, all those things I was talking about before, bringing that diversity and of plant material to the site, bringing back plants that once belonged pre pre the place being cleared for farming, um, the things and, that were there two hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. But the, I love your point there, right about generational. I think if I look through the eyes of my own son, who's sixteen, he's come through you know primary and secondary school education where there's a greater awareness of the environment at broad scale to micro scale through what they learn at school in various different subjects. So he, he'll he come out of high school and that generation, they have way more understanding of, of these natural systems. and More empathy. We, yeah, too. correct. More em- yeah, that's a good word, more empathy. So I I think perhaps the role of, of golf is, and, and no matter what you know, traditional golfers will say, the handphone is part of 
life, people are going around the golf courses with their oh, phones God, in lost, their hand. We lost that battle. Yeah, <laughs> they go yeah. Hardly anyone so stick so then the opportunity there is is for golf clubs to to provide an interface that that allows you know through the use of your hand phone while you're waiting for your mate to tee off, you can be looking up something about the six hole where you are, and there's a bit of history in there about the six hole, for example, a bit of design notes, or there's a bit of flora notes about certain well, trees. That and see what you, it is. You call it a hand phone. Yes, too. he did call it a yeah. hand phone. <laughs> Speaking of generation, I was going to let that go. But, uh. Rod, Rod's amazed by the people can't see what I'm doing, but that symbol versus that single. Apparently, like, yeah. apparently kids don't do this for call me anymore. They do this. They, Instead they, of holding a oh, thumb and forefinger to mouth and ear, they yeah, just get yeah. a flat palm and hold it up against, against the side of the Is that right? That's Rod's, what the, Rod's the still amazed like. by that. I'm still quite, yeah. <laughs> I'm still got the <laughs> quite staggered by that. <laughs> the yeah, dial, that, the that dial okay. Get your tin can. Pull it taut so that the sound can come down the... Hold your hand phone closer to your head. Oh, this hand phone technology is extraordinary. You're never going to live that down, Harley. That so, is, uh, uh, well, there you go. I'm just the old dinosaur, as my son keeps reminding me. But I think well, he would. So this, this, this the other thing I was it. about to say: we come from a generation broadly where asserting human superiority over nature was applauded, and in many ways, that's been a fantastic thing. But perhaps too much. Yeah. Being able to knock the top off a mountain to build a golf course on it was seen as a wonderful engineering feat. Sounds fantastic. Does, doesn't it? Except that in actual fact, when you look at it, maybe that wasn't such a good idea in hindsight. So I think that's where those sort of generational um, clashes come from. Let's move from some of this big picture stuff. You mentioned it before, uh, Royal Perth. Mm-hmm. You and Mike Clayton are going to work together. And and DeVries and Mike Mont. DeVries. This is really, really – and is Frank going to come over, do you reckon? I don't think so. – yeah, no, It's he, a long he way for so him to come. Yeah, it's a long way to come at the moment in this, yeah. this current sort of situation. So, it's yeah, it's basically be uh, myself with the two mics – Clates. Tell us what's happened there. This is ex- for those of us who are deep in this world. I think this is really exciting stuff. In Australia, here we know Clayton is revered amongst those of us who think a certain way, and he's been a fabulous spokesman for the game in all sorts of ways, architecturally, not the least of them. Uh, you have bring a fantastic aspect, Archer, as we know from having you on the podcast here. And I think particularly some of those areas, especially you had with plantings and native flora and fauna, and some of the work you've done in that area as well. And DeVries, of course, is Mike DeVries. Really exciting for a whole bunch of us. How did this all sort of come together? How did it happen? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, it was basically, I've been talking to the golf club for a while. I'm doing some work with the golf club. Golf club is looking to get an architect and, and through, through, COVID and lockdown and Perth being Perth and shut off for the rest of the world, there was a certain um, desire from the club to get going with things and um, Clates had, had had some conversations with the, um, the soon-to-be uh, now new general manager and, and to the club and I'd been having them and we thought, well, let's just get this thing across the line and Why get going. The other? And, and, and we figured that if we're, we're better off giving, having a crack together and it would be a compelling a compelling case for the club if we join forces to, to do this job. And uh, I'm quite thrilled by it because and, – and so are the – so is the CDP uh, crew uh, because it is, a, you know, A, to be working together um, and, and, B, working with this club and, and, and taking in this tiny 18 holes of, on, on 34 hectares of land, 82 acres – for those in the imperial world, which is a, which is about the land you need for nine holes <laughs> these days from scratch, so it, it is a compact, tight site um, with opportunities to be a lot better than what it is, and and I think that's the the thrill for us uh, to be working with this club is to make this eighteen holes a lot better than what it is. Mm. Uh, look, and it'll be grand and great golf simply because it is such a tight site, but it it can be really good, and I sort of. Uh, um, sort of equate it to sort of a sort of maybe Japanese housing architecture where you've got a tiny site but somehow you make it work. Efficient, yeah. yeah you know, every 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 millimeter, excuse me, every millimeter of a of a Japanese house matters. You know, you almost design from within out. You know, the dimensions of your toilet is this, and so therefore your toilet room has to be this size. You know, you don't waste space. Uh, and so uh, Royal Perth a bit like that. You can't waste space. So your left hand needs to be talking to your right hand. If we're doing, if you move a metre that way, something else has got to move a metre that way. So uh, when it comes to to um, you know the golf design, the vegetation, tying it all together, um, it's it's all treated as one whole place. And so look, it's a really exciting prospect. Of course, Royal Perth on sand. It's relatively flat in parts, and that's that's good. And then there is some movement and undulation, so the, the, there are great interests to be brought into around, particularly the greens complexes. Um, 
over time. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass Harley, so I'll ask you about this, Luke. I agree with you. When the left-hand phone's talking to the right-hand phone, that's when things are really going well. (laughs) Hand phones. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I won't ask Harley this, but Harley has a lesser profile than those other two, but he has no less experience and doesn't bring any less to this project, does he? Hmm. Well, I think the way I've heard it reported, which I think is very accurate, is that between all of the people contributing to this project, every part of the golf course is covered. We've got uh, some sort of spiritual input from Clates. You've got uh, DeVries and and Harley as well doing a lot of, you know, shaping and hands-on work. Actual construction. In the construction. More difficult than most of us probably realise. And uh, and Harley bringing the vegetation management um, and particularly local knowledge of what's what will work indigenously in that environment and uh so the the very um uh catchy way of describing that is from fence line to fence line yeah that team is covering every part of that golf course which i think is is fantastic uh, it's interesting it like people never mention royal perth without immediately and we've done it half a dozen times in this podcast immediately talking about what a small property it is <laughs> is that something you're looking to change like you know People, rather than have that be the sentence that follows up Royal Perth, what would be what you're aiming for? Like Royal Perth, the place that's got great fun golf or something, you know. You just add to it, don't you? Amazing <laughs> golf on a tiny site, I suppose, yeah. is what you probably well, that's what it is. And, and again, you, of course, you go back through the old photographs of the place and you see that there were certainly less trees around in the early days. Um, it's, it's a classic example of let's just separate the holes by planting trees everywhere. Uh, and I think what we'll end up doing in, in parts, and, and there's a desire from the club, we're not driving this, there's a desire from the club, they recognise themselves that there's there's too many trees, and a lot of them are um, interesting. Perth, actually, the fascinate, the Perth had this great fascination with trees and vegetation and curiosity of, of vegetation from the East Coast. And we had the opposite. And, and we've had the opposite. So <laughs> yeah. if you go to Metropolitan, Royal Melbourne, uh, of course, in Sydney, you'll see flora that comes from Western Australia. Hell over got, the place, yeah. So this is sort of the curiosity of of things from afar um but um i yeah i think it uh, yeah it'll i think i don't mind the reference to small actually because it's it's it shows that 18 holes can work on I was small. About to say, it's an it is a challenge isn't it there's yeah. no question and what's yeah. the feeling there's no such thing as a united golf club when it comes to changing the golf course and <laughs> even when you're not changing the golf course there's no such thing as a united golf club some members want to change some want it to never change what's the general feeling you get but clearly those in charge have made a decision that changes need to be made but you would be out there talking to members yeah. and whatnot. what's your yeah, general yeah, sense yeah. and it's not, look it's not wholesale change there's not a lot of room to change certain parts of the structure so it's coming down to the sort of finesse at, at, at ball rolling level along the ground and ground the ground game in particular around greens and and just some of the I guess the aspects of tee to fairway where where there's just um you know flat uh, uninteresting moan kaikuyu there that doesn't need to be moan kaikuyu so i think the turf footprint on royal perth will be less uh, which allows you know it's a classic example there it'll be less footprint of turf which will get that more uh, higher contrast between the areas that need to be turf and don't need to be turf uh and and um so I think, and that obviously allows the maintenance team to sort of really focus on delivering high quality turf and and uh, for the playing surfaces. So, so and and we'll get bring back some much needed character and parts to the golf course and 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 on a, and a more oh, I don't know a, a more special identity perhaps to to what what the golf course is and and the golf holes. So. Um, and and I think you know we're at early days there yet. We st- we still haven't presented to members thoughts or ideas, and but I'm looking forward because it is you know uh, it could have just been cruise golf or could have just been CDP, but I think bringing us together the the different skills and backgrounds, experiences that we've all got that can contribute to that. It's multiple heads being better than one head on in terms of golf design brains and and knowledge. So and we we might even have um, Lucas on the tools as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's interested. And he, he, Lucas comes from Perth originally. He, he's, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, 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 he's a Perth boy. He grew up playing Lake Carney up and and knows Royal Perth very well. So, well, we might have Lucas on the tools as well. So it could be a really good team. Could be a lot of fun. The project and and I'm sure really good outcomes for the club. And they've got to manage their their members' expectations of obviously the tip, you know, like all the situations with when you come into an existing golf course of having a certain amount of golf still available to play while yeah. this is all going on. So. Uh, but I'm looking forward to engaging 
more with the board and with members and, and I guess in a way we're a hand-holding exercise through this process with them to come out the other side. Did you start by buying them each a copy of Spirit of St Andrews or something like that? <laughs> Wouldn't be a bad idea, would it? It's probably in, I think that's in Clate's department. I that one, isn't there? He's, I, he's, yeah. the, he's got the library. I don't think he'll sign until everybody's got a copy of the book, will he? <laughs> it is true, though. I mean, there, there has to be some level of education. Well, for a golf club to have chosen this team, there's got to be some level of understanding at some some management level there of a vision that they have. I mean, you don't hire, well, particularly Clades DeVries, as I said, a higher profile team. You know kind of what that means. That it's yeah. a, there's a certain sort of, not to put it in a box, a certain style of golf. You mentioned the ground game. And not everybody gets that. There'll mm-hmm. be pushback from there everywhere that, mm. you know, everywhere that any design team goes and makes changes to the course. There's always an element of the membership that says, oh, they've ruined it. <laughs> it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. No matter what some other people think about how well it might have gone, so yeah, yeah. I don't envy you that part. It sounds like we might be a chance to get one of those fabulous photos of sort of the four architects, maybe pointing or pointing at a plan on the, <laughs> on the bonnet of a four-wheel drive. A Is bulldozer, there any bulldozer, bulldozer yeah, yeah. something like that? That'd be uh, Lucas can sit up in the yeah, Lucas Michelle. Is, <laughs> that's exciting stuff, Harley. And in fact, that'll be a very interesting. In the same way that Royal Canberra, when. Clates was with Ogilvy, Cocking and Mead was a very different sort of project for them and that made it very interesting, I thought. This will be a really interesting project mm-hmm. to see how it goes. And again, not quite in the same vein as Northcote, a little bit of a blueprint perhaps for what can be achieved on small sites? Yeah, well, y- correct. And I, y- it is. And I think, you know, we're, there's plenty of golf courses out there that can't get any bigger. The land is what is mm. what's given. Kalara's the same. The, we, there's no more land. You have Royal to deal Melbourne's with what you've got. Yeah, we're, yeah, so we've just... So, Thinking about how we're making better golf on these uh, compact or smaller sites where you just can't take things any further, and um, yeah, we all know, and we, we don't need to be bigger and longer to be to be really good golf. That's the so, last thing we need, isn't correct. it? Correct. So many ways. Now, now, in fact, is a perfect time to be making the case for how you can make smaller yeah. golf more interesting yeah. in golf for its community. You're so probably not going to host an Australian Open at Royal Perth. In fact, you can take the probably out of that sentence. It's never going to happen. So you don't need to worry about. The guys who hit at three twenty and straight. Mm. The guys who hit at three twenty yeah. and crooked. You got to worry about them. But three twenty and straight, you don't have to sort of present yeah. uh, that challenge. So to them. we're looking. I mean, it's 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 we're looking forward to making it a lot better than what it is, and and really good golf. And uh, so I think it's and it is a challenge. You know, as I said, every millimeter counts. So we have to think very carefully and deliver things very carefully. And and uh, that's the responsibility on a really tight site. Does Royal Perth have that? Orangey sand that you have in some parts of Perth. Yeah, yeah, it's on a. Um, it's it's a. It's not as orange as you might see images in my mind of say the vines and places further north. It's it's a. It's it's so it's sort of a. It's it's a. I wouldn't call it a classic orange yeah. sand. You know, it's it's a little different. It's more whiter sand. There's the actual site sits on two different types of sands. Is that right? It or not? Yeah, yeah. In some ways, Perth and that part of well, Western Australia in general is. One of the great missed opportunities yeah. for for great golf architecture in Australia. There's so much sandy land. Mates always says, "Imagine if Mackenzie had gone to Perth." Oh, well, yeah. he did. Did he? He did. He no, went he to Royal Perth. Ah, so, uh, so that was the incident. He, so pressure when the ship came to Australia, <laughs> you, you, he stepped off at Fremantle and and he was greeted by the uh, the uh, maybe Mates pa- hasn't said that. So he probably left behind him, yeah. his original book that he used to leave behind wherever he went. <laughs> <laughs> he must have left it on the ship because yeah. he, he he was met by the Royal Perth officials and taken to their site. Yeah. And, is it and the current site? Uh, correct. Yes, it okay. is. Yeah, yeah, it is. So he was actually taken there and... and uh, so this is small? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good load. Back on the ship. Yeah. Went to Adelaide. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the ship yeah. stopped in Adelaide and he goes, how good is this? This is much better. <laughs> so I think he lost interest in Perth fairly quickly after he saw the site in Seton. And of course, then he turns up turns up in Melbourne. But he, even when he was going, obviously from Seton from Adelaide on the ship to Melbourne, he was already planning his return ship to to uh, Seton to 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 do that ground by. Tra- I think he went by train from Melbourne back to Seton, I believe. But uh, he wasn't venturing back to Perth, so it was a uh, half a day maybe at, in uh, Perth, and it's enough to claim a link. And uh, but but, <laughs> but courses but, have had him for less that have claimed. Apparently, he visited long, Pimble as well. So you know, that's <laughs> he went and had a coffee or something. I think Quote, that was the quoted trip. fifty pounds, and they well, told I think him to that, piss that, off. That was the day that he, he, he that he left Rose Bay and 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 made his, the journey to Kalara, Pimble, and then yeah. across the ridge and down the hill to Manly yeah. before heading back to back to these uh, these digs at Royal Sydney. Yeah, it's staggeringly 
barely mention Royal Melbourne in Spirit of St. I still can't get over that. No. About, about three lines. Yeah. If that. Yeah, if that. Yeah. Just mentions the fifth, I think. Yeah. So you saw a little bit of that construction. But quite, just yeah. uh, quite a moment. We're deep in golf nerd too. Mm. Then. Mm. Uh, anything else we need to bring up before we let Harley go? No, I was just going to suggest when you do take that photo of all the architects standing, pointing, looking at plans <laughs> and stuff, try to nurture a bit of a distinct look uh, it would be my okay. recommendation, like a Robert Von Hage type of thing with a cape, a cape or something like that. Just think about it. Think think about what you what could be your look for that sort okay. of situation, Harley. Yeah, I that's think. some great thought. Yeah. That's um, a cravat, perhaps, a fancy hat. So Maybe yeah, carry a messenger like somebody else that we know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a messenger wouldn't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> With plans sticking out the top of it. That would be <laughs> outstanding. All right, let's wrap it up because Harley's got places to be. So, boy. Harley, been fantastic to have you in. Good, mate. We, we, we don't do it often enough, although we did have a lot of the year taken away from us where we couldn't get yeah, it. Yeah, I love yeah. it when you come into studio. The discussion's always more interesting because of it. Logue, always great to catch up with you, mate, and thanks for all your efforts this year. It's been fabulous. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Oh, that's okay. It's literally the least I could do in many ways. Uh, and that's it for episode 97 and for 2021 here on the Good Good Golf Podcast. We'll be back with episode 98 in 2022 here on Good Good Golf Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>